0: Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome, our visitors. I've met some of you. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm Ashley Snyder. I'm the worship director and communications director here. And why am I up here? It's a great question. <laughs> when I was asked to do this four weeks ago, my, my first response, and this might, I don't know, my first response to everything is yes, and then, oh, no. <sighs> what did I do? Oh, but Thank you to our online viewers as well. I see Connie visiting us today. So welcome to another out-of-order worship. If anything, I am not consistent with scrambling everything up. Uh, so sermon before music, there is method to this madness. Stick with me. So we need to shake up our routines sometimes every now and again, because we get into these patterns. We get into these ruts, right? And then when we get into these patterns, it just seems like we're just going through the motions, and then we forget our purpose, and sometimes we can forget our why. So that's the question I'm asking today. Why do we worship? Now, when I first took this position, I had never been in church forward-facing leadership before. I've been in praise and worship band since I was 14 years old, and I was very happy to just stand in my corner and just play my instruments. So when I became worship director, I needed a lot of help. And one of the first things that was recommended to me was this book, How to Worship a King by Zach Niece. Not only did this help me step into this position, but this helped me look at worship a completely different way. Like I said, I've been worshiping worship and praise team since I was 14, and I really don't think I knew what worship was. But before that, a big thank you to Pastor Aaron to Pastor David, to Pastor Raymond, and to Pastor Eric for being such an emotional and sounding board for me. I had them vet what I was doing, and I really appreciate all the all the help. So I am not here to tell you how to worship, okay? Just like we each have different relationships with each other, we also each have a unique and different relationship with God. So I hope before you leave today, not only will you have a more understanding of why we worship, but you will want to worship with your entire body, soul, and spirit. Pray with me. Father, please be with my words. Please be with our hearts. Open them to you today. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts more today than they've been open in a while, Father. We open our arms to you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit, into this place. Amen. So, how did we get that format of worship where we have the music before the sermon? This was fascinating to me. So, 2,000 years ago, Satan had stolen scripture. Well, how did he do that? It was all written down. He's sneaky. So he went to clergy and he persuaded them that they needed to keep Scripture holy and away from the common and regular people. But God had sent Jesus to make us holy, but we quickly forgot that because the groundwork had already been laid a few hundred years ago when Jewish priests forgot that their job was to serve God and the people started serving the Jewish priests instead. Thus, the chasm between the laity and the clergy began. And a lot of Jewish followers transitioned into Christianity and they brought that practice with them. So, clergy would hoard scripture and they would only read it in Latin. How many of us understand Latin? <laughs> Oh, well, our theological student, of course you do. Of course you do. But it's a language most of us do not understand. But it was illegal to read or speak scripture that wasn't in Latin. So the clergy would say prayers in Latin. They would read scriptures in Latin. And they would sing songs, wait for it, in Latin. So the congregation just sat there listening Because that's all they could do. Because it was also illegal for them to sing. Caveat, it is not illegal for y'all to sing here. I like to hear it. But they didn't understand it anyway. So why did they go to church? It was required. By law, you had to attend service. So Jesus had come and died so that we could have unrestricted access to God. But nobody knew that because they didn't understand what was being taught to them. So for 1,500 years, this is the church that they lived in. Then, 1,500 years later, the Reformation came. I will never do that again, I apologize. People wanted the word, they were hungry. And so people started translating the Bible into their own languages. They would get caught, and the penalty was death. William Tyndale translated the Bible into English, and he was executed for it. But because of his work, he helped translate 75% of the King James Bible, which I still have a hard time understanding that, but that's that's the time for another story. So in the 16th century, more and more Bibles were being translated to get the Word into people's hands. Leaders like Luther and Calvin started putting Scripture to popular tunes of the day. What were popular tunes of the day? Bar songs, pub tunes. So, what? I'm, in the, I'm a 90s kid, so like what? A Britney Spears song, right? How would you feel about putting Scripture to, oops, I did it again? <laughs> but that's what they did. And that's how it helped people learn scripture. Scripture that people, maybe they didn't have a Bible or they didn't know how to read. So they would sing these songs often to learn scripture. And it would help them understand what the preacher would be getting up and reading and saying. And that is how we get the order of worship. But we see echoes of those dark times today in our services where people just come in and sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up again when told, sit down, and then they leave. And they may or may not ever think about worship or God again until the next Sunday. We understand what's being said. For the most part, I think everybody in here speaks English. I kind of do, so I'm kind of understood sometimes. But our worship isn't in a different language. But we still just end up watching or watching the clock. God calls us to be so much more than consumers, so much more than just spectators of ministry. We have made worship about us, our preferred music, our opinions on how things should be done, and we hyperfocus on non-biblical traditions. When worship is for us, we put ourselves in the place of God. Worship has become its own musical genre. I am so sorry for the people watching at home or later. You can say, Alexa, play praise and worship music, right? Give them just a minute to turn her off. Play pop music, play country, play jazz. It's its own genre. And just like each of those categories, we all have our own opinions and our own preferences what good music is which means we believe, what good, we believe we know what good worship is. In Deuteronomy 10.8, it says, At the time, the Lord selected the tribe of Levi to carry the chest containing the Lord's covenant, to minister before the Lord, to serve him, and to offer blessing in his name. The Levites are to stand before the Lord and minister to him. Worship is not for us. Worship is for God. Sometimes before we answer a why question, we have to answer a what question. What is worship? I have asked a variety of different people this question over the last couple weeks, and I've gotten a bunch of different answers. But when you get down to the root of it, the main answer I get is, I don't know. If we don't know what worship is, how do we participate in it? And if we don't participate in it, what we're doing is we're just being religious people, working at religious tasks, checking off the boxes, going to service, opening my Bible, listening, standing up for music. I've heard many people say, worship is music to prepare our hearts for the word. So in that case, worship is just the music part. That is a common thought. Well, if that's true, here lies the problem. If worship is just the music, then we can judge it based on our own preferences if it's good or bad. If we like a song, we will stand up, we will sing, we will raise our hands, and we will sing super loud. If we don't know a song or don't like it, we might stand there with our arms crossed, Maybe count the tiles in the ceiling. Here's about 200, by the way. Don't count. Might look at our watch. But none of those gives any glory to God. And if worship is for God, but we are judging it, we put ourselves in his place. Music is not just the worship, but music is a part of of worship. Music is a wonderful way to worship God. And when we, we are in full worship, we worship with our body, soul, and spirit. Music helps us engage each of those. But if one part is disengaged, we are truly not in worship. I can sing any song with my mouth. Not a problem. I can stand there and sing. But if my heart and spirit are not in worship, I am not truly in worship. Music moves our bodies. Did you know we have built-in instruments? We have hands that clap. Yes. Snap. Not everybody can do that, though. You're super talented. We have feet that stomp. We have voices that sing. Yes, some better than others. That is not the conversation we are having today. Because all worship is beautiful to God. If you have children, have they ever brought you a paper with a scribble on it, and you're just like... That is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. That is how God feels when we come into his presence with worship. Music moves our soul. Have you ever listened to a song that just completely brought you to tears? On the weekly, if not the daily, okay? Music really speaks to me, which I'm in a good position here, if music really speaks to me. The absence of music can have an effect as well. Watch a scary movie with the sound off, which is the only way I will watch one, by the way. You will not catch me watching any of those. But music can pull different emotions, different feelings. Our souls were created to respond to music. Music also moves our spirit. When King Saul was tormented by evil spirits, David would come and play music for him. So in 1 Samuel 16.23, it says, And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Music is a big part of worship. But if it's not just music, what else is there in worship? Let's look at the word worship. Worship comes from a shortened old English word. And when I say shortened, I mean they knocked off two letters, okay? Ignore my lisp. So the, the longer word is worth-ship. worth-ship. Its literal meaning is to give something worth, to demonstratively attribute value, especially to God. We worship God by showing him his value to us. Zagnes, in his book, says, demonstrating value costs us something. To put value on something, we have to put a price on it. That is why worship is so often associated with sacrifice. Worship is a sacrifice. The best example Zagnes gives is Abraham and Isaac, So Abraham is taking his son and his servants up the mountain, and they are going to worship. Somewhere along the way, Abraham says to his servants, y'all just stay here, chill out. My son and I are going to go up, and we are going to worship. Fifty billion years later, we know exactly what's about to happen. Abraham is going up this mountain to sacrifice his son to God, and he's calling it worship. I don't know about you, but dude, that's murder, Not worship. But to Abraham, he was giving up the most valuable thing in his life to God. Because Isaac wasn't his to begin with. God deserves everything because he is the one that has given us everything. That is what worthy means. Of course, God stopped Abraham... And we're not saying we're sacrificing children. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. But do you see the point? Abraham would give it all up to God. So God stopped him and did what? God gave him a sacrifice, he provided a ram. Where in worship have we ever given anything close to what Abraham was willing to give? I haven't. I have not come that close. And yet God still provides our sacrifice, because He sacrificed His Son for us. So Jesus is our sacrifice, and that means I'm good. I don't have to sacrifice anything. I don't have to give anything up. Yes. The ultimate sacrifice was given. But what did we say worthship was? To give something value? What is God worth to you? Our time, our talents, our money, Oof, don't talk about money, our service? Do we give those with our whole heart or do we give them with tight fists and stipulations? I'll do this if, is a common phrase. Are there other things we put our worth-ship into? One statistic shows that on average, an average American spends nine minutes a day in spiritual religious activities. Don't worry, I did the math, I did the math. That is 54.7 hours a year. Now let's say that average American goes to church every Sunday and let's assume that service is an hour. 52 weeks in a year, that's 52 hours a year. That only leaves 2.75 hours left of the entire year. Everybody take a breath. Netflix users, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Netflix users on average watch 3.2 hours a day. Again, I did the math for you. 1,168 hours a year. That is almost equivalent to a 20-hour work week. 3.2 hours a day, Netflix. Nine minutes a day with God. And you can plug other things into that. I am a court TV junkie. I am true crime through and through. I love watching trials from jury selection to verdict. I'm odd, I know. My husband's just like, she is crazy. And those trials last eight to nine hours a day. I'm not watching eight to nine hours a day. It takes, I get 30 days behind. But I do put a lot of time into watching those. Netflix hasn't sacrificed anything for me. Core TV hasn't sacrificed anything for me. So that means we shouldn't watch Netflix. Well, no, that's a discussion for another time. But where is our time being spent? In his book, Zach says, if worship is ascribing worth to God, then the price of our worship shows God and the world how much we value him. Listen one more time. If worship is ascribing worth to God, then the price of our worship shows God and the world how much we value him. He also says women typically understand this concept more than men because of the engagement ring. How does a woman walk into a room and show that she's engaged without saying a word? Mm. Everybody knows that position. They know exactly what's happening. Girls start screaming. They start running. And they say, show us the ring. They don't ask about the guy. Who is he? Does he have a job? Does he live in his parents' basement? That is a literal question you should be asking. No. All they care about is how much, or what they see in the ring to know how much their friend is valued. They can tell because they can see how much he saved, how many craft dinners he ate instead of eating out, and the detail and the thought he put into that ring. The friends care about how much value Their friend has in that man. How does that relate to worship? We are the bride of Christ. We are unfaithful. We are selfish. How could anyone love such a woman? Zachary says, how could the perfect prince of peace, glorious, holy, faithful, powerful, righteous, full of beauty and light, choose such an unlovely, wayward woman? The angels are mystified. Hell cannot comprehend it. The lost can't believe it. Who could love the people of the church? Only one thing will silence their doubt. Show them the ring. How does God show us how much we are valued by him? In Romans 5.8, it says, God demonstrates his own love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our engagement ring is the cross. The lost see our engagement ring as a myth. It didn't happen. And sometimes by the way we live our lives proves their suspicions. Our worship shows God and the world how valuable he is to us. Is it required? You are no, you are not required to be here. There is a Hebrew word, abad, and sometimes it's translated as worshiper, but its literal meaning is bondservant. In Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 8, it explains that a slave or owner can uh, release their slaves from servitude and the slave can go free and away or they can choose to stay and serve out of love because he loves who he serves. Slaves would obey their master out of fear and out of duty. Bondservants would serve out of love. We do not praise and worship out of fear. We praise him because we love him and there is no one else that we want to give our praise, love, and glory to. There is no one else that we want to give our praise, love, and glory to. My friends, that is worship. Paul, Timothy, James, Simon, Peter, and Jude all named themselves bondservants, usually at the beginning of their books in the New Testament. Zacchaeus writes, they didn't identify themselves by how they served. They identified themselves by whom they They loved to serve. We are called to minister to God, to give him praise with all of our body, soul, and spirit. What do we give our time to? What do we give our thoughts to? I pray that we can break the chains of what would people think, or I don't know how. Just give. Give all of you. Give it to God. Now, we have been in worship, but we are going to continue with worship and engage in music. And as we pray, I prepare that you, I pray that you prepare yourselves to give yourself to God. This is your time with him. This is your love letter. This is your engagement ring. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for this time that we get to come and dedicate time to worship and praise you, Father. There is no one else that we want to give our love, praise, and glory to. You have given everything to us. You have sacrificed so much. I pray that we open our hearts to you this morning and that it continues to flow over the week. I pray that we are refreshed and reborn every time we come here, Father, so that we can go into the world and show them your value to us. We love you, Father. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.